there. You're listening to another episode of the Niagara Moon podcast. And as always, I'm Thomas Irwin. This is a special one. I probably, uh, you know, this this album doesn't need much more to do uh, in the aeroplane over the sea. But this is a very unique album. And it was a very, very interesting in-depth discussion with none other than Thin Lear, a.k.a. Matt Longo, uh, Baroque folk songsmith. Of course, I highly recommend checking out uh, his music. But um, yeah, Matt had suggested this album. We got to talking, and uh, it's it's amazing. I think you're really going to enjoy the chat. And uh, we're going to get into that in just a second. I also want to just say if you are a uh, an aspiring Moondog, if you're a fan and you're looking for some cool new Niagara Moon content, you want the the ultimate experience, as it were, you can actually uh, go to the NiagaraMoonExperience.com uh, because as I've mentioned a few times now, we're launching the Quest for the Sound, which is a five-chapter uh, virtual tour through our lush history and um, you know series of albums. So you can sign up for that. That's launching April 1st. All right, let's get to it. Neutral Milk Hotel in the aeroplane over the sea. the box set the the neutral milk hotel box set vinyl and uh mm-hmm. i hadn't listened to this record in like i don't know six years seven years or something like that because i'm sure you have artists that you feel this way about but like you know with the beatles i was listened to them so much as a kid that like i i really have trouble listening to them now consistently obviously they inform like who i am as, as a person uh you know, to that extent, but, um, I just, I can't ever get into it. Like I'll have to, there'll be a couple of years in between and then like, I'll start to get into one album and then I'll say, okay, you know, and I, and I need space from it. And it's similar with this record. Cause I got so into it for like a four year period that, uh, I found that I took all these things for granted. Like I, I was hearing it now and, and my wife has never heard them. I don't know why I, I never played it for her, probably because I was just avoiding it because I was, you know, maybe sick of the record. And uh, I found myself like uh, cringing at, at certain parts because I was like thinking she would be turned off by it. Uh, and there were things that I thought were like um, sort of indisputable truths when I first liked the record, like, oh, I, I, this voice is amazing. Like, I love his voice so much. It's not grating. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, and the fact that the whole album is just completely fuzzed out, uh, like just com- completely peaked and in the red. Like, I didn't hear those things. I was just like, I, I found this strange masterpiece and that was that was it. It was all taken for granted. I mean, do, do you, did you find that you... Uh, did you hear this differently? Because I imagine you probably were into this record earlier. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I kind of had a feeling of what we were getting into for this week. Uh, it, it hadn't been that many years since I last heard the songs, but it had been a while. 
Um, this is definitely, oh, and by the way, totally relate to what you're saying about the Beatles. It's like absorbing so much in your younger years and they develop so much of your musical sensibilities so that by a certain point you're like, what's the point of even listening to them? Because I, I can play these songs in my head verbatim. Like, right. It's like, uh, I put them aside for a while, like special use only kind of thing, listening to Beatles albums. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Neutral Milk Hotel in this album, it's kind of like... I mean, maybe this is a cliche to say, but you're definitely even if you're even if you're not like a diehard fan of the album or you're not in love with it or whatever, it is the kind of album where your whole like perception of music and understanding of music, um, like your feelings about it, I feel like are forever changed. Mm-hmm. That might not be hyperbole to say. There's like before digging into this album and then after like you're you're gonna remember it like it will leave an imprint on you you're absolutely right it was it was that cataclysmic yeah it's like i've never encountered anything like this i don't expect to again and this is forever gonna be like you know i'm gonna remember that this is like an option in music to like go this far with whatever this is like this is an absolute outlier in any genre of music and and it's and the more you try to like dissect why or what about it, is it the story? Is it kind of the mysterious nature of this band and this guy? Like it's the stars aligned. There's this has, I mean, I, I don't know how succinctly this answers your question at this point, but I was thinking like listening to In the Airplane Over the Sea, it doesn't sound like this, well, sound is a relative term, but it doesn't feel, I don't feel like this is a work of a guy in the 90s music industry and he's singing and it's like this feels like it came out of nowhere and it's like a musical spirit like it's it's otherworldly for sure I, I i have definitely tried uh to figure out what you're talking about you know like why is it why did the stars align for this record um i i think one thing that i and you probably have read this too this the um the 33 and a third book oh yeah it's it's the biggest yes. one right the one that talks it's, about it's this really, album. i got it around the time that i first started getting into the record it was like 2004 ish when i started hearing and i think that's when a lot of people got into it i mean there'll be the diehards who will say that they were like you know at shows in 98 or whatever but yeah the athens georgia <laughs> right. crowd coolest kids in the world yeah right i'm sure they look at us like oh like how could they think jeff is a folk hero you know he's just a guy who writes you know or whatever the whatever their mentality yeah, is yeah. and that's fine they are certainly entitled to to feel that way but i caught on when when most of us probably did um and and the album just continues to have like weird lives and survive these these crazy changes and i think part of it is because it's like the first message board internet album you know like it's 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 before merriweather post pavilion it's before all the grizzly bear yeah. stuff uh before beirut you know arcade fire and and in in a lot of ways it's it is the like prototype for all of that and also hugely influenced all those other exactly you, you know mentioned. like beirut they, they took the eastern yeah. european part of that and just like glommed onto it they made it classier um, you know, Arcade Fire made it like uh, it merged it with like U two or something. It became like a stadium rock, stadium rock <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. sound. Phosphorescent took it in a country direction. You know, like it's everybody took what they what they wanted from it, and uh, it, I think part of it has to do with the internet and that like it 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 felt like um, 
something that came out of nowhere that people could share. You know, it wasn't like a, a, yeah. a, that you were completely alone in discovering this masterpiece or, or, you know, however it was when you looked at it. And the other thing is, musically, it's really easy to like. I mean, I remember thinking... That's like punk music. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's very simple and it's crazy catchy. It's just really melodic. I mean, it's not like, you know, I was listening to Robert Wyatt uh, the other day and like, you know, I really like him, but... You know, with like him or Scott Walker or something like that. It's like this is challenging. Scott Walker's <laughs> yeah, for weirdos this only. This is not. That's that's a certain you know, kind like, of club. I don't see teenagers aren't making memes about Scott Walker uh, records. You know, like it's just not. It's it's too too tough. And and this record is experimental in ways that serve the melody, kind of like Revolver. Uh, I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's the record I draw the clearest connection to. I know a lot of people say like Pet Sounds and like, yeah, uh, I, I hear that too. But like, it's all, it's weirdness that is serving the song. And the best example is like in the airplane, this, the title track, when you, ha- you have this sort of ambient uh, horn stuff that's happening. And there's like a sound like, it sounds like a, a hospital cart is being wheeled at one point. Um, <laughs> and, and it all serves the melody. That song, man, you put a singing saw in a pop song, and indie kids are going to lose their goddamn minds. I mean, it sounds beautiful. It's that the whole thing is is perfect and the arrangement, and everything. But like the singing saw, that's a key moment, I think, in this whole. I, album. I and, and like you said, the singing saw, right? And and it forced us to, I think, when we were getting into uh, recording our own music, figure out like what instrument is that, and why would you use it in a pop song? And it created this right. ethos of everything but the kitchen sink or everything and the kitchen sink, uh, recording techniques. And that's the other reason that I think for people like us who were interested in recording, it blew our minds because it sounded like an attainable masterpiece. You know, like Sgt. Pepper's yeah. is amazing, but it sounds like adults. You know, it's, it's <laughs> it sounds like it costs the amount of money that <laughs> exactly. it costs. Yeah, yeah. You and I weren't like, oh, I can make this. You know, I, I was in upstate New York when I heard it and with a group of musicians who... I think most people discover it with a group. Uh, I, that's the the, the t- tale that I've heard when I ask people about this record. And, yeah. you know, we were all trying to do this. We were all trying to make that collective after the Elephant Six collective after we heard uh, the album. And, you know, legendary Elephant Six collective. And amazing how many important, influential, amazing indie musicians came out of that. And just Athens, Georgia, of all places in this one decade, the so 90s, weird, right? like an amazing weird circumstance yeah yeah man it's it's it, it is kind of it's like sergeant peppers for punks is one way to think of it like it's mm-hmm. it's this you can totally go on this otherworldly journey and tell such a convincing story and be taken to such a unique beautiful place but with like that diy lo-fi no budget energy like i guess that mm-hmm. that precedent really hadn't been set before this and you are also totally correct that it must be the first album that really got legs and got cult status uh, after its initial release, like through the internet. Like it, it must must be the first contemporary album, relatively contemporary, that really like it took the internet a few years to get behind, and that's what pushed it into what it is now. Like that was the first time that must have happened. Can't think of any other and, examples. And the the internet picked it up again, I think more recently, uh, during like the initial meme explosion. And I wasn't aware of this until 
I started like looking around for this podcast to see like, you know, what, what was happening with it. I'm sure some people listening are like rolling their eyes that I'm just discovering this, but there was like a meme overload on this record, which is just like uh, confounding. And it went to the point where now, of course, it's like a dead passe meme. But uh, the joke was that this is as hipster as hipster gets. Um, and, I, I, you know, it's not necessarily wrong to call this a hipster record, but like I'm going to sound like a raging millennial right now, like shaking my fist. But uh, yeah, that word doesn't mean what it used to mean. It's it's uh, the the artist himself, Jeff Ma- Mangum, not Magnum, <laughs> as I would have screwed up until this morning. Jeff Mangum, him him and his whole deal. This these circumstances, this band, this project, the artist. Nothing about it is pretentious or you know trendy or whatever. Like totally the opposite of that. The whole artistry behind this album is completely honest, which is just a huge appeal of it in and of itself. Like it, it's wonderfully just naked and bare and vulnerable, which is the antithesis, I think, of hipsterdom. The hipsterness might come in in the like the cult following, the sort of the tribe that's built around the legacy of this album and the virtue virtue signaling you might have with like I can appreciate it and you know it might have entered entered like the land of, of trendiness and, and fads and um you know that it that happened later. You can't like attribute that to the creation of this album or the background of this album. That, you know, that that might just be an audience thing. I mean it it's it's a huge album it's a huge album for moody teenagers. Is it not? Like who like to Absolutely. read uh, James Joyce Absolutely. or whatever? Yeah, it feels like their it feels like their record. It's it felt like my record. I mean, I fit in the, I fit into that category pretty neatly. And I think you're right. You can't put the hipster thing on poor Jeff. Like he he's he is as earnest and unironic uh, as can be, and that is the opposite of he's bearing his soul on this right. goddamn thing. And, it, it, and and it's not that is not what hipster used to mean i think we think of hipster as a definition from like early 2000s of like and it was a real thing uh you know in 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 brooklyn or you know wherever uh it's an aesthetic it's a look and and i I, it's a lifestyle i imagine that this record was big for a certain time with that crowd um but there's no way that it's in with that crowd if that crowd i'm sure still exists it's not in with them now because it's too wildly popular uh, now it seems like hipster is just like anything that's very slightly off the mainstream or weird sounding. You know, I've heard the Lumineers described as hipster or whatever, because it's like now hipster is like merging with like indie folk or something like it just the definition is so far out of whack with what it was uh, uh, before. But, yeah, I agree. This is not um, this is not that sound. It's too genuine. Yeah, it's uh, it totally exists in its own universe kind of like I said, and it, it has this amazing effect of when you're listening to it, it feels like the only thing going on in the world, and it feels like the most important thing in the world. For the duration you're listening to it, like it absolutely catches your attention. I Also, I got to believe that's very important to a, a teenage listening audience. And that's totally a result of the intensity and honesty of Jeff Magnum's vision. Mangum, uh, it's he's so unapologetically just pursuing his internal 
vision and like follow he's following his dreams like figuratively and literally i mean holland 1945 the, uh, the imagery he's he's painting with that and you know the whole the story goes he read the diary of van frank and then had three days of just totally like living in that world and wishing he could travel back in time to save her like you feel that just unabashed it's it's like a dreamlike passion that just runs through this whole thing with no mm. filter yeah, I, I I spent a lot of time thinking about if this is a concept album, if this is really about her. Uh, I don't know that it is. I mean, I think even even in the way that you just described it, like he was obviously inspired by her and her story in the book, but she kind of just yeah. floats in and out uh, like it like a dream. It, it's like right. it, it's, it's such a subconscious. It's such a purge of his subconscious. That it, it, the songs do feel like a dream where there'll be these images and then all of a sudden someone's talking to him. And then, you know, so, something, something is happening on a, like an astral plane. And then all of a sudden, like Anne Frank is, you know, it's, it's 1945 or whatever. So I, I think it's, it's not, uh, it doesn't have to make narrative sense. And, and I think that a lot of not the at critics at the time, I'd love to look at uh, bad reviews of records that are now considered classics because it's just fun to see how uh off the mark people can be uh and and a lot mm. of what they were talking about is it just just doesn't make any sense and they had they were like is it about her is it not they got very fixated on uh, the narrative and it's like would you rather listen to a podcast on Anne Frank like this is you know it's, yeah. it's a songwriter <laughs> yeah. just exploring their odd connection to a subject and i think there's enough you said honesty and i completely agree and it's it's such a weird word to describe something that is so abstract but like he he bears his soul in phrases not in narrative the narrative concept not in a yeah. whole song there'll be uh, images and lines where it's like oh he's talking about uh, childhood trauma or or whatever um, and there's also like a rorschach element to to that too because maybe Right. What do you read into yeah. this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, especially that, even in the first song, you know, and, and I think that's what ensnares people uh, because he's, it's these lyrics that are really heavy, like your, your mom sticking a fork into your dad's shoulder and your dad wants to kill himself. And uh, she would drink until she's no longer speaking. Like that's a haunting way to start right? this, to kick yeah. this thing it's, off. It's such a familial discord. And then it's over these like jaunty, guitar chords that is just really catchy and then there's this beautiful i don't know if it's a harmonium or like an organ uh comes in and it just sounds so full and and almost happy yeah. juxtaposed with these like really traumatic scenes yeah and then uh we found out what each other's bodies <laughs> were for now it's i've never i mean forget that being a way to introduce your album like I've just never heard in a song like a picture painted like that with those kind of lyrics. It's it exists totally on its own. Uh, it gives me the same kind of goosebumps as like the best Wes Anderson movie, where it's just the the true feeling and emotion and and meaning of what this guy's doing is in between the lines. Mm. He's not gonna. There is no narrative structure that's really like the most important thing it's 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 everything and nothing like it's in all the details and it's in the way he he sings like he's in pain it's not 
like if you're ready to listen to that kind of voice, it's awesome, but it's not <laughs> approachable by any means. Uh, there's no dynamics in his voice. It's oh, everything all the time. Yeah. Which is, oh my God. Yeah. And delivering these kind of subconscious, subversive, like really risque, sometimes disturbing lyrics with the, it's, it's ineffable. He does the best job of capturing something that you otherwise would think, I, I, how do you, you can't, how do you put that in a song? How do you portray that with lyrics? He, he touches into feelings in a way like in a, in a seemingly impossible way that I see with almost no other artist. I completely agree. And I, I, I think that um, we were talking about why teenagers would be into it or whatever, why it feels like such a special record for them. I mean, like if you, it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a record that sounds like the world yeah. is ending and you're on this ship traveling through time, just navigating the, just the wreckage of the end of the world and all the emotional turmoil of that. But like from this, like jaunty seafaring place. <laughs> and you're also super hormonal. And like this record, we yeah. have to talk about the insanely like clinical, but then also abstract way he talks about sex is like, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like what other album has the image of semen staining mountaintops and he's like calling it semen and he's talking about ovaries. It's like a, yeah. it's like a health class, but then he, he integrates this really clinical uh, uh, imagery with abstract imagery. Uh, and it's it's so, I think we were talking about why it would resonate with a teenager is because it's like, I don't want to put stuff on Jeff, but this does sound like someone who has anxiety about sex. Um, you know, it's just so, <laughs> there's a lot about merging, you know, merging with another entity that you love, like two-headed boy and like, pushing his fingers through the mouth of somebody to make the muscles move like this, like the idea of being inside somebody and like becoming them or loving them so much that you're a piece of them is like really disturbing to him. Uh, And I think as for a teenager, especially uh, if you have not yet had sex, this is something that you really desire. uh, And you're also terrified of it. This is a perfect record for that because it has everything, (laughs) you know? Yeah. You're hitting the nail on the head. It's, very much he's talking about all these anxieties and fears and kind of unsettling situations but like with a with a childlike awe and wonder at the same time which is a very bizarre juxtaposition this is a michelle gondry needs to direct the in the aeroplane over the sea movie yeah it it has that just desperate but still very childlike and whimsical dream dreamlike energy to it but it's like it's it's focusing on disaster and focusing on like the dreamy beyond like at the same time i by the way the artwork is a match mm-hmm. made in heaven for it too just the i and i also i thought that was like an avocado <laughs> on the person's face i didn't realize until today yeah. that's a drumhead but it's it's like a very traditional Sort of, you would expect to see it as a, a postcard from the 30s and, I don't know, wartime, very traditional kind of art style. But then it's like, what's, who is this person? What, what happened to their head? Like, what, it just if it further takes you into this other kind of dreamlike world that acknowledges all this trauma and all this pain. And then it's like, well, 
I'm going to just go in a totally different direction with that. I'm not going to like process it narratively the way you would see with so many other artists. A record that I can compare this to in my head is Funeral, uh, because I think it's like the next, Yeah, I, I guess it would be the next step from this record. Like it, it takes it in a more polished direction. It's still rough around the edges. More commercially friendly right. vibe. And it, yeah. It's more forceful. Uh, it's clearer in the, in the lyrics, but um, I think there is that, connection between these two records of like funeral looks back at childhood in like a wistful kind of a way like there's some sort of perfection or purity there like arcade fire always do that thing with the purity and childhood um yeah there's there's a lot of optimism mm -hmm. i would say this is not like things could this go is not right. that like this is like almost like <laughs> you're like dissociating from reality if things are traumatic it's like oh like now Anne frank is here and like we're flying through the clouds you know yeah. like it's not it's it's uh yeah his mind is just scattering in all these different directions uh and the thing with the merging that we were talking I, I wrote this down for myself the, the thing with the merging with people you love or with with uh other entities like there's always that sort of grotesque imagery that that comes with it but then also there's two things. There's a yearning to be even closer. Uh, and there's also a loneliness mm -hmm. too, that even like you're inside somebody yeah. else's body, you're pushing your fingers through their mouth or whatever it is that he's talking about. Uh, and you still feel lonely. You're like two headed boy is like part of someone else and he's still floating in the glass yeah. jar. And it's like, it's such a good, it's such a good, um, uh, a, a connection to this idea of like being in a really tight relationship and you, know, you love the person and sometimes you feel it, like it's overbearing but you're also still lonely sometimes like it's like a kid figuring yeah. all that stuff out yeah and it's it's weird to think also it's not like jeff was 18 19 when he's writing and recording these songs he's in his late 20s which kind of <laughs> took me by surprise uh he yeah, it's like you can just pick up from his whole vibe and his, I mean, it's obviously his reclusive nature too. He basically left music a few years after putting this out, but he just, he must be somebody that goes around feeling alone or nobody's really on his wavelength. I mean, I don't know the guy personally, I'm, I'm maybe I'm projecting, I'm obviously still guessing here, but it he's bringing this energy into it that a listener, maybe a teenage listener would pick up on of like, I have, I, I live in such a beautiful and strange world and I have all these thoughts and ideas and this is my way of, of living in the world and I can't find anybody to join me. <laughs> kind of has that edge to it. This is a, yeah, absolutely. And I think it, that scene, that elephant six scene, I think is what helped to, make this record because I think he was and probably he was probably still alienated even from uh, that group and they, they when you read that book it, it they make it sound like they were still in awe of what he could do even the other band members and I think uh, yeah. some of that resulted in them being a little weird around him or it wasn't like you know th th there was parts of him that you just couldn't know uh, and I think as a result yeah. of that yeah. he might have still been able to go to this place to write this music and yet he was encouraged by all these people. Like they loved him and they were all like messing around that house that they described where they recorded the record. Uh, it just sounds like a circus, like people doing weird, playing weird horns and yeah. different rooms and stuff. And it sounds like yeah. a circus. <laughs> it sounds like a circus. Right. Uh, it, it, it's, and it's, and so I think people like us who, um, 
you know, grew up thinking about places like, you know, Big Pink and what it must be like to just like live the music, live the recording process. Yeah. That just sounds like the music is your like environment. It, it, you know, it's, I still think of it as heaven. I, when I picked up that book and listened to this to this record, I uh, got all those feelings back about like what I wanted life to be like in a musical sense, which is not like, you know, like the a touring cycle and then a, a press cycle and then you record, you know, like it, that it wasn't about that. It was about living the album and you never emerge. You just never stop. Yeah, no, I I bet it was a dream to be involved in this project. And you can, I mean, that's so that another huge strength of in the airplane over the sea is, I mean, Jeff Mangum is amazing and he's steering the ship and it's, that's obviously all wonderful. He has such an in tune, like supportive understanding and excited group behind him too. I was just reading brief, briefly about the guy who's engineering this and the sort of process he went through you know, not using, uh, you know, fuzz guitar, uh, big muff pedals or whatever, not the traditional stereotypical way to get distortion, but just this new technique he devised with tape and a certain way to use mm-hmm. compression to get this very, very distinct sound that's, it's overblown, but not uh, out of place at all. Like he, that guy was given, the, I'm forgetting his name, which I feel bad Robert, about. Robert that, Schneider. Robert Schneider was given the room to do that and you have the wonderful trumpet player i'm forgetting his name as well scott spillane yeah and scott is a huge important part of this record and you just get get the feeling like he's given room to fly and play his heart out and and put all he's ever wanted to put into his performance it's all these people were allowed and able to come into his world and find their place and find their role and inspired and encouraged to like take what they do as far as they could too, and it still all fits under the same umbrella. You're absolutely right. It's it's the it's the twofold thing of like they are serving the song, and they also what they're doing is is interesting and unique enough where they get their own little spotlight. You know, it's like a, like a Fleetwood Mac album or something uh, from another planet. Um, <laughs> Scott Spillane's horns. Uh, are just still like will move me to tears. I don't know why it is. It sounds like a kid is playing it, like re- obviously re- really well. It, it sounds yeah. like someone that's just discovering the instrument. Like they're not yeah. flawless part. They're not played flawlessly. Like they're they're kind of um, uh, like rudimentary in the way they're played. But the parts are so beautiful and they're played with such fervor that it's just like uh, just hits me in the heart every time I listen to it. Yeah, it's as emotionally honest and naked as Jeff Mangum's voices. It's like the the horn equivalent, mm-hmm. and the way you just feel that right away is is transcendent. Like it's, it's you know again the stars aligning, uh, just all the pieces fitting into place. Because this could easily have been an album, uh, as can often be the case, where it's pretty much just Jeff, and you know more moments where it's just him and his guitar. And not having this circusy, many collaborators involved feel, but that's part of what gives this album so much power. I feel like as you go between just the naked, lonely Jeff and his guitar moments to then the circus comes back in, and it, like it goes, it has such a, a dynamic range, like emotionally and sonically. Like you can go from these really 
tender, uh, intimate parts into this, like, the ship is in the sky again. We're, we're going through dimensions and time. Like, it, it, it bounces back and forth uh, in a way that, again, as I was listening to this for the first time in a while, I was like, yeah, this really does a lot to give the album flow and just, like, keep the movie moving. Like, it's excellent pacing. It, perfect pacing, perfect sequencing. Uh, you said at the beginning, every time you put the album on, you listen to from wherever you started to the end. Uh, oh, yeah. It, it, what you were saying about um, uh, Robert Schneider's work and that blown out sound that he got, like this does sound like a negotiation in some ways, like between Jeff, who you imagine was probably pushing it and was more like, you know, I heard Tibetan monks chanting in my dream. I wanted on the song and, and, you know, Robert wanting to make a Beatles record. And it, that, this is what that combination sounds like. And I think yeah. people call this record lo-fi. It's, it's not like, it's not, I, I, when I think of lo-fi music, I think of like, I don't know, like cassette recordings or something like that. I mean, now lo-fi means something else, but like, you know, a, a, an indie lo-fi sound it, it, I, I don't i don't necessarily hear it on this record because it's recorded so well and because they all sound like conscious production choices and not like not having good equipment or something like that yeah no it's it's not lo-fi like early elliot smith it's sure. it's weird fi it's not hi-fi it's not lo-fi it's it's like we put a lot of technical care and craft into how this album sounds and also using none of the same techniques as traditional like commercial or professional music like we did our own thing but it wasn't out of neglect right. it was just we they they uh trailblazers they, they made their own path so i have i have i got two questions for you absolutely uh one and you you kind of danced around it before uh -huh. but do you think that this record would be as big as it is if it didn't have the looming uh, legacy of Jeff stepping away from music entirely, becoming like a folk hero to our generation and suing generations, like is his disappearance part of, obviously it's part of the mythology of the record, but is it part of the yeah. success of the record? If he made, if Neutral Milk Hotel made another two albums after this, that were like, fine, would we be talking about this record now? It's an interesting question. Well, my I guess my first question back to you is did you have you heard on Avery Island? Yes. And I think that it's fantastic. Like I, I love that record. I think that there are songs on it that go much further into like ambient uh craziness. And and for that reason I come back to it less because I think that kind of stuff I you know, I like it the first time and I digest it and it's yeah, hard to like yeah. sit with headphones on and hear it over and over. But um you know, the songs that are songs are just as strong as anything that's on right. this album. It's still him. Uh, so, again, as I was saying earlier, this album doesn't... My, my initial experience when I was first getting into this album and, and getting familiar with these songs and just taking it in, it feels like an otherworldly like spirit made it. It feels like it's coming out of a different dimension, a different time. I don't think about the person, Jeff Mangum, as I'm listening to it. I only started to kind of for the sake of this week. Like the album totally exists like in its own context, even separate from, uh, for me and any other music that he's happened to put out. I listened to on stuff like On Avery Island long ago. I remember it being pleasant, but 
for whatever reason, it didn't stick with me. Mm. Yeah, I, I could get back into it maybe, but in the airplane over the sea, it's like, it's, uh, it's singular and it's, it's its own deal. And if, if Jeff were to not have totally shied away from the music industry shortly after, and it didn't have the status of, well, he did this and then he just had to leave because it was so powerful and important or whatever the, uh, the ideas might be there. If he just kept doing the, the regular musician thing and more albums, more albums, uh, you know, I think this album would still have a unique power and I think that unique power would still be evident. And I don't, I don't know, the really over mythologizing or like singling out this album as something so important and special and unique and the, the memeing of it later on, that might've been lessened, but, uh, I mean, great music is great music is basically what I'm trying to say. And I don't think his, any of his activity afterward could have detracted from that too much. I, I think he knew, unfortunately, and, and, you know, we, we might also have the idea as well that he couldn't mimic this or repeat it. I think he could still make competent music. He could still make interesting, appealing music, but he knew this album had a particular magic to it that lightning in a bottle. And I don't know if that idea was too frustrating to him or he just didn't want to be a public figure in general or whatever. Could have been all of the above. But, uh, you know, if he had decided to just keep at it and keep releasing and keep trying to stay in the game, uh, I don't think we would have had another album this strong. I mean, it's just you can't really expect that. Um, but I don't think it would have detracted from his legacy. I think it would have just been a few more on Avery Island sort of deals where the these audience or, or following for that specifically, like digging even deeper, you know, would have been a lot smaller. But yeah, I don't know. It is an interesting thing to ponder. Uh, yeah, you're, you're talking about him stepping away. I, I kept thinking about, you know, with all the mythology around the record and how many generations now have, keep discovering this as their own, the, the amount of pressure that he must feel every time he picks up an acoustic guitar or, you know, whatever he's writing on, uh, if he does decide to still yeah. write, I mean, he's not releasing it if, if he does, but even when he's just messing around, uh, that might also, like you were saying, contribute to the fact that there's no other music coming out. I think, you know, it could be for a number of reasons that that could be one of them, the pressure of like, Oh no! I need to follow up this thing that has like influenced uh, forty years of musicians, or you know, whatever, however long it's been. Um, and and I think the other thing is maybe like a health thing. Uh, it, it seemed like mm. he was not down with even that that modicum of fame that he had um, in the early two thousands was too much. I think even as the record was sort of happening in ninety nine or two thousand, it was just uncomfortable for him. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like you just couldn't tolerate that lifestyle, which I imagine a lot of people couldn't. I don't think there's something terribly weird about that. Um, yeah, he was—he's too—he was too weird. I mean, in a, in a great way, he's a brilliant, unique individual. But he was not going to play the, uh, you know, the touring, the interviewing. He's not going to play that game. Um, and then I, yeah, I don't know what compelled him not to share later music that he would write or record. I don't, I don't know what compelled him not to ever kind of share that at all. Or maybe he totally stepped away from it. 
uh, it's just, yeah, there's they're just a big hole there in terms of my knowledge on that. But I think every, for everyone, for everybody. Yeah. So maybe that could be that, that wanting to know, you know, gives that, gives this particular album a few more notches of notoriety or, or attention. But again, it's still, it's still the album it is. And it's, it, it makes me think of uh, My Bloody Valentine's Loveless. Sure. Uh, that's obviously a gigantically influential album for so, so many musicians and just left a huge cultural mark in, in, in uh, certain places. But, you know, they followed it up eventually. <laughs> they did more music and Loveless still has the same amount of mystique and, and importance that, it, that it's always had. You know, even if the band eventually continues to evolve and do other stuff, like the album is, is still in the, the world of the album, I feel like. So you're saying we could see a Neutral Milk Hotel album in the future? Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm uh, helping a producer right now, <laughs> co-writing a few of the numbers. I cannot wait to hear it. Uh, yeah. he, he was really like um, indie Bigfoot for a while oh yeah like Sasquatch. especially for our generation where it was like he sort of showed up at like interesting times in history you know like he was at occupy wall street i remember when that was happening it was like oh somebody saw jeff mangum and it was kind of oh. like like what is this guy like tom thumb or something like he just sort of emerges from the wilderness at uh at, at pivotal moments and uh I, I remember i saw them when they did the tour um, and they sort of got back together just to just to play the live shows, not to make new music. And uh, mm. it was just, of course, it was in Brooklyn. And uh, that was one of the only times I've been moved to tears in a crowd. Uh, I'm sure, you know, your listeners who love music, probably that happens all the time. But I, I get very, you know, suppressed in a large group of people. I don't express myself in that way. I get uncomfortable. Oh, no, I, I'm right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> but this, I could not... I just couldn't hold it back. And I think I was, I was listening to two headed boy and just like, uh, it was such a timestamp on a period of my life of like discovery and this childlike wonder about music, um, that I, I couldn't contain it. It really, it, it got me emotional. I get emotional now just thinking about that moment. And I think he does that, uh, for a lot of people in, in a way I am not in a way I'm, I'm very happy that he stepped away if it was a health thing, because we all talk about, you know, someone like Kurt Cobain and saying like, why couldn't he just stop making music and like step away or do something else or whatever, if it was the fame was part of what was feeding what he was feeling. Uh, but then imagine the amount of shit that he would have gotten from like critics and from fans too, to say like, we are entitled to know what's going on in your brain. We're entitled to hear new music. Um, yeah. you know, you, you gave us this, you art. belong to us. Right. Um, and even I was reading this article that this guy, um, was like tracking him down. This guy had had an experience, um, with his, his brother, his brother had committed suicide and, uh, he, he heard this record and it like helped him emerge from those, those feelings. And he was, he was kind of making the argument that like the art, the artist loses some control over the work once it's released. And like, he, he felt like he sort of deserved, uh, uh, more from Jeff for having connected with the music. Not that Jeff needed to hang out and explain how he wrote each song or what the inspiration right. was to everybody, but just to be there for the fans of, of the work or the people appreciating it. And I don't know where I fall 
uh, in that argument. I mean, I think as two musicians, we would like to say, oh, yeah, that would be amazing. Like if, if that many people have that much of an attachment to your work that they demand that you stick around and at least ha- like hang with them uh, uh, and be there with them as they process the work, um, that sounds like a dream. But I guess it could also be a nightmare. It's it's all well and good as long as you feel like you can deliver. Mm-hmm. And if you can't deliver, that's terrifying. And maybe that's just what he went through. So I can't be this figure that people need me to be. I don't know what this, it, and none of this is what I expected or necessarily wanted. Uh, escape, which, you know, if that's a choice he needed to make to, to live the best life he can lead, very much kudos to him. And I'm glad, you know, something worse didn't happen. Um, that kind of touches into this thing I did want to mention um, of listening to this album. It's such a fully realized experience in a fully realized world, but it also struck me like how delicate it could be, the the balance it takes. Like if you put one wrong element or kind of mistimed or just messed up any of these particular moments, like you put the wrong in- instrument in or if, if something didn't land just right, like it feels like the whole thing would fall apart and lose all its power. I mean, it's genius in how it that doesn't happen and just like from start to finish, it's what it needs to be. But like if everything is not totally in control and, and falls into place the way it needs to, it loses everything. And I wonder if that speaks to Jeff's kind of creative process or the way he needs to live his life in general. Like there can't be too many moving parts or room for error, maybe. Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's part of what makes the record so exciting still is because it's like, it's just about to bleed out of control, you know. Like it's 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 fuzzy around the edges, literally. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. and it's I, on the verge of collapse at all times. Yes, and 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 I think that speaks to obviously Jeff's creativity and and vision, but also Robert Schneider's ability to control this chaos a little bit, like to see what yeah. was happening in that carnival house, to hear people playing, you know, sousaphones in different rooms, and Jeff like screaming in the bathroom. Uh, and coming to him with all these wild ideas and and looking at that and saying like, okay, we can make this sound like a pop record because a lot of these songs, like these are pop songs. You could play In the Airplane, the, the title track or, or the, the opening song or Holland 1945, like for anybody. And they, I think, would enjoy it right off the bat. There are certain songs mm. that maybe you'd have to get into their record more, but like this is a pop. Oh, comely. Right. right. And I want to talk about that song before we, before we stop yeah, yeah. because that one is a monster uh that's just devastating uh that, that that i remember even the first time i heard the record the song kind of like scared me a little bit i don't know how to describe it but I, I remember there being more instrumentation on it than there actually is because he his performance is just so crazy dynamic uh and it's that sweet you know, it's, it, has, it has the three parts to it. And if you listen to early live recordings of, um, you know, the Jittery Joe show and stuff that he was doing around that time, he, he this wasn't the song. Like, he was breaking it up into different pieces. Yeah, yeah that's, I feel like the the deepest this album goes, like the, the end of the cave is O Comely. And then by the time you get to Untitled, it lightens up a little bit. I forgot that there was, I guess it's an Irish bagpipe, but I forgot there was bagpipe in this album. And I was like, hell yeah, when, that, when it finally reached that moment. Like, 
most of this album just sounds like a total emotional release. Like, uh, it's got to come out. Like, push it out there. Okamli is one of the few moments for me where it feels like it's the tension is building. It's a lot of tension. It's on the rise. And then it just finally, it gets to push it out there again by the end. It, it makes me think, yeah, I completely agree on the tension because you're, you're on edge the entire time that this song is on. And I can't, uh, I can't think of a song that does that to me in the same way. Um, mm. You know, he's not winning American Idol anytime soon. Uh, and and this, this song was the one that when I was playing it for my wife that I was like, uh, you know, like I, I wasn't cringing because I didn't like it, but I could hear it through like new ears, I guess. And I was so yeah. indoctrinated into like the Jeff sound uh, back then that I, I was just couldn't understand somebody not liking his voice. But like I started watching her being like, uh, does she think? You know, what does she think about this? Again, he sounds like an animal in pain in certain moments to me. It's so uh, he's <laughs> pushing against his chest. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 not a sound for for everybody. It's it's not standardized or conformed to like any expectation of what male vocals are supposed to sound like. But then there were all these bands that came out afterwards, like the Decemberists or whatever, where there's like Colin Miloy. Yeah, uh, totally well, took his vibe. <laughs> it's like an imitation of of. Uh, of his voice. And, um, it's so strange that, you know, people would, would latch onto a voice that was this sort of, um, immediately somewhat difficult to listen to and be like, I want to make my vocals sound like that. Yeah. Um, he reminds me of Neil Young a little bit. Uh, and I read somewhere that he was listening to, um, don't let it bring you down a lot. And, uh, after the gold rush, that, that record, and there's a similarity there. And it, it, there is like a, a bleeding, like a you know goat bleeding yeah. kind of kind of kind quality. The warble to the, Neil Young does. Yeah, and and it, yeah. and it further demonstrates that it's really all about how you put across your song. Like, do you are you owning it? Are you uh, do you have intention? Are you owning the melody? Yeah. Uh, and then if you are, it's totally fine. And he's still hitting those notes too. Yeah. It's still impressive that he the is it the high note in O'Cumley that he. Like when he finally he can push up to that, I'm like, whoa! His register is farther than I would have expected. <laughs> like it's it's not like he's you know missing the notes. He's he still delivers. No, he's he's get, yeah he gets there, and and he makes you feel things about these topics you barely understand what he's talking about, and yet you're right there with him the whole time. You know, like your father made fetuses with flesh licking ladies, like. What you know, like what? But you know, going back to like the sex anxiety thing, it's like he's combining it with family trauma, and like it is rough. This is rough imagery, uh, and it's still you know at times like glorious throughout throughout the song. It's like uh, uh, triumphant. He gets to that place, yeah. but it's stellation, right? And you, you but you barely know what he's talking about. Yeah, it's it's it really is the sound of raging hormones in so many parts. <laughs> But not like dull or simple-minded, like like the hormones of somebody who is like really intellectually uh, ambitious and you know reads a lot and, and thinking critically about the world and history, but still got the the pent-up emotions they need to release. I feel like it's it's totally a soundtrack to that. I think I know. Going your, back to the teenager hipster thing. The again. teenager teenage hipsters. Uh, do you think? I think I know your answer to this probably, but. Um, did this in your own music making, in your own songwriting, 
Mm-hmm. Did this sort of um, set set the bar for how ambitious you could get, like conceptually or, or lyrically or with instrumentation? Is this like one of those touchstone albums where you're like, this is something mm. I can reach towards? That's a very good question. Um, so unfortunately, I might say not that much. Like th- this is definitely an album that from the first time I heard it, I had some appreciation for, but it's it's never been in like my top pantheon. Uh, it kind of taught me a little bit what I what I personally like can't do <laughs> or like this exists and not really the direction for me. Like I can try to go somewhere else uh, and to kind of break that down a little bit. Like this is the sound of many different people rallying together, uh, you know, under a singular vision. But this is uh, just like losing control and, and wildness and re- like a real band spirit. Um, and I might, if we're talking Elephant Six, I might be more inclined to go towards Of Montreal, mm. where he's, he's a weird guy, and he's, he's addressing some, some weird topics in his music and, and has kind of, uh, you know, a strange sensibility when it comes to, like, theory and how to put a song together, uh, which I like all that. And he's kind of a one-man band. He's, he's kind of, uh, there's a lot more control there. I think I'm too uptight to go... <laughs> in the airplane over the sea that's it's it's like i learned early on the power of it and how it's not necessarily an energy that i can tap into with with niagara moon or, or what I, i'm i'm too polite i'm too I, I don't have the the turmoil or the the wildness or the just the racing thoughts of of this mm-hmm. album i i'm more kind of muted or i just i go in a more kind of baroque uh careful crafted elegant directions so it's it's uh it's it's a symbol to me of another another op a road that i couldn't travel on but i'm I'm glad to know it's there Kinda, it helped me help me form my idea of of what i could do but in a different setting interesting but is it was it more of had more of an effect in that sense for you um maybe not directly it was more like the ethos uh, you know, like I was living in a house with um, someone I was in a band with when I was really into the records, guy Nate Safran. Uh, we were, in the, we were. It was one of the first bands I was in in, in uh, college, and we lived in the house, and we were making a record in the house, and we were into this record, and we were reading about the recording of it, and you know, it, we did feel like we were, um, you know, like an island unto our, ourselves as creators because there was just in upstate New York where we were people were not like doing what we were doing. And I don't say that in an arrogant way. Like, you know, some of it was amazing, I think still, but obviously some of it was not, uh, we, we were trying to do something experimental and, um, we didn't have a collective of musicians like there, but we still did feel like there was this, this community that we were building, even just with us, um, and recording literally in his kitchen and in the, in the bathroom and, you know, doing all that stuff. I don't think we sounded like this, but, that that men, that mentality of like right. yeah try to make Sergeant Peppers in your bathroom uh, that was more of like a fresh thing then for that Garage Band generation and this record yep. set set the the bar for it I think uh, lyrically also it sort of taught me like go as weird and insular as you want to go because if you yep. find that space in yourself where you're connecting with it 
Uh, mm-hmm. People are just going to respond to to as spectators watching you connect to this um, the, the muse in such a weird way. Yeah, I definitely took that note from the the lyrics. I, the lyrics are probably the part that left the biggest impression on me, or might have had the biggest influence on my own sensibility. It's like, yes, there's no real clear narrative structure. You could argue it's just surrealistic nonsense but it's not like you there you feel the feeling and that's really the most important part and you can paint this imagery that might seem surreal or absurd but if you're coming from the right place when you're doing that it's gonna have it's gonna make all the difference in the world and you can just really feel empowered to to get weird like that if it's if it's honest to what you want to say so i definitely did i definitely had that takeaway i had the like you know, F it, if you want to make Sgt. Peppers, but you don't really have any money or whatever, like, don't be afraid to be ambitious and strive for the highest amount of creativity you want to, no matter what your setting is. Definitely get that vibe too. But again, like I said, I got that most, kind of what you were describing with this album, I got that very much from Of Montreal and uh, Hissing Fawn Are You the Destroyer. That's it was great. kind of like that for me. Great yeah. album. Yeah. Have you listened to any of the other Elephant Six uh, uh, guys? I mean, the... the I, I Olivia know, Tremor Control, yeah. I know that record, uh, like Dusk at Cubist Castle. Yeah, that's that's a cool one. I like that band a lot. And I always, I w- always wish they had put out more. Mm. Uh, I only know a little bit of the Apples in Stereo. Um, yeah, I'm drawing a blank on the other ones. I, I, don't, I definitely don't dig as deep as a lot of people, but uh, Nutra Milk Hotel of Montreal and uh, Olivia Tremor Control might be my guys for that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you I'm, go into like Elf Power and <laughs> No, I think there was Silver a, Jews and there was a time where I um uh like wanted to, like where I was pretending to, like I would listen to a lot of the other stuff, but some of it connected with me, some of it didn't. But I, I wanted yeah. to like all of it and sort of be indoctrinated at the time that I was really into yeah. that record and you wanted them to be your friends, be your community. Uh, yeah. Like how how exciting must must that have been? I wanted Scott Spillane playing playing horns in my bathroom. And I yeah. We reached out to, at that time, in like 2004 or whatever, reached out to um, the Circulatory System, which was one of those, one of those bands. Um, yeah. I, forget, I think Will was, was uh, the guy that was in the band. But we, we reached out to them through MySpace uh, to sort of date, date myself. And um, they got back to us. And, you know, we were just saying, like, you know, you, you, what you guys do really inspired, um, inspired us. And they were just really sweet people and like genuinely interested in what we were doing or at least they pretended to be and and we had a correspondence for you know a couple months and it was really great and it was like everything we hoped it would be just like these magical friendly dudes making weird ass music i mean it's the whole community that is so just centered around artistic expression and just the beauty of music and really focusing on that and you know, it's not like they got t- taken over by Virgin or Warner. Like they're not a bunch of jaded industry dudes or kind of sleazy commercially minded individuals at all. They're just about the music and it's it was just part of their larger community. So it's no surprise to me that they'd be kind of open and, and friendly and welcoming to anybody else who just, you know, wants to revel in the, the wonder of, uh, of indie pop music, you know? <laughs> That's that's probably that's a good, that's a good spot to to end right like that that idea. 
Um, I mean, that's that's what this album is all about. It's it's let's just we're we're in it for the craft and telling these stories. And if that means we're breaking up the band shortly thereafter because we got nothing left in the tank, you know, so be it. Mm. Let the music live on. Somebody was saying that the like the tour they did was like um, you know like sort of a cash in or whatever. Uh, that's the only thing that they did that could be viewed in that way. And like, I completely disagree. I, I just see that as like a victory lap that they, you know, were doing to connect with people and connect with each other again. And, yeah. uh, they had this huge audience there. I mean, you know, why not, why not play to them? I, I, I didn't see it, uh, in the way that that critic was, was looking at yeah, it. Yeah. That, that feels a little cynical. Like, it's not like there's that much money on the table. It's just about, you know, yeah. connecting with, with an audience. You know, if you happen to feel inclined to do so. Yeah. Yeah, man, this is a great suggestion on your part because I felt like it was inevitable we were going to get to this album at some point because it has such a unique, important uh, influence on uh, just independent music in general and just, you know, kind of more off-kilter or unconventional pop music. Uh, It's totally uncompromising and... It's it's just an undeniable classic. Like even if it doesn't totally speak to anybody's sensibilities, or it's you know they feel it's a little rough around the edges, or whatever. It's it's just it totally exists in its own universe, and just uh, yeah, modern day classic. Yeah, I completely that agree. Won't be forgotten anytime soon. I was happy. I was like uh, pushed to listen to it again because like after like six or seven years of not listening, I. It was nice to. It was like visiting an old friend. Yeah, the the old friend who uh, paints houses and <laughs> and by day and paints on canvas by night and lives in a tiny loft and wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Yeah, and he's just really obsessed with the Aunt Frank story. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, that's it for this week. Have yourself a good one. Sign up for that quest for the sound. It's going to be wild. And uh, we're going to be back next week talking Thundercats drunk. Bye-bye.